Amen and amen. So, hey, uh, uh, about a week ago, I was thinking about this message. And by the way, I wasn't planning this, but I'm starting to see what God is doing. I think this might turn into maybe a three-part series, maybe four. Uh, But I want to be talking to you guys about going forward. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, going forward. You know, we've had uh, many times in teachings where we talked about, uh, you know, the journey that God has for us, um, what God's equipped us with, uh, the things that, that he gave us in advance so we can do God's work, all these cool things that we've been looking at. And by the way, if you missed any of those teachings in the past, rlcholland.com, click on messages. You can catch up on any message that you want. You can share it on Facebook. You can let friends know you got to hear this word. That's what it's there for. It's a great tool for us. Um, but going forward is something. I was really thinking about. There are a lot of hiccups in life, agreed? There are a lot of roadblocks in life, agreed? Sometimes there are a lot of dead ends in life, agreed? You know, and and we we face these um, hiccups, these, uh, you know, roadblocks in life because sometimes we miss it. Hear me out, church. Sometimes we miss what God has for our life. Not questioning salvation, not questioning your love for Jesus, but we live in a fallen world, and there are times we're going to miss it. I miss it a lot, okay? You can talk to my wife. I miss it a lot. But what God looks for is a heart that's ready to say, God, I'm sorry, and repent, and let's keep going. Let's go forward. You know, and so as I was thinking about this message, I said, man, this thing can go so many different directions. I think I'm going to be speaking on this for just a little bit. And today I want you to know about something. Madi and I look at every single one of our servants here at this church as not just servants, but as leaders, as leaders, because I believe with all my heart that it takes a leader to keep going forward in life in general, not just ministry, not just in church, but in life in general. Maybe you're doing something at home as a small group or maybe, you know, with your kids or, or your organization or businesses or factories that we're working at. God still wants you to be a leader. You don't have to have the status on paper, but in you, he wants you to be a leader because he wants you to keep going forward in this life. You know, for the most of you guys, you all know that Madi and I, we youth pastors for six years here before we became lead pastors. And one of the things that we've really implemented, we injected into our leaders in, in a good way, you know, we, 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 we spoke and we, and we reminded was they are not volunteers. They are leaders. They are leaders because they are influencing somebody in their life. And at the time, it was teenagers. And I remember many times where they would look at me like, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just serving. I'm just volunteering. Yeah, you are, but God has called you to lead in that area. For instance, let's think about worship. You know, worship, we have lead, lead uh, singers. We have, you know, people that lead every once in a while. Sometimes they'll alternate. Dinah's leading the team right now. But you are leader in your life in worship. You see what I'm saying? You, God has called you to be a leader in your life. And sometimes we misunderstand what leadership really is. Leadership is not management. You see, uh, uh, world, what's, uh, what, what's the word? Oh, what's the word? They would label that. That's what I mean. Okay, they would label as leadership is management. But what I'm saying is leadership is influence in somebody's life. Influence in your life. You know, God had called me to be a leader in my home. I am a lead, I'm going to lead my wife and I'm going to lead my children. But my wife is also a leader in our home. And, and her giftings and her, and her ways. My children are learning to be leaders in their home. I'm so proud of my nine-year-old boy. 
because when a commercial comes on, it's not good. He covers his sister's eyes. And he says, don't look, Malaya Mila, don't look. And it's awesome to see the girls go, you know, and, it, and I'm, I'm so serious, especially in the October season when things are just scary, you know, and, and Joshua just, he just senses it. And, you know, sometimes I'll go to my mom's or my in-laws and they'll see that like, man, Joshua just, you know, covered the girl's eyes or Malaya, don't look around, turn around, turn around, turn around, you know, they, and it's like, and they think that's so cool and cute, but we are, we are discipling and we are raising up little leaders, we're raising up little leaders. You know, Joshua has friends in his life, and, you know, even younger ones, and they look up to him because we're, Madi and I understand that we need to raise up leaders. You know, he loves serving. Sometimes he doesn't, you know. But here, the honest truth is this. He's learning to become a leader, and he understands that leadership is not doing everything. Leadership is influencing people. And he just simply wants to influence his sisters, his friends that are around him, and that's why he's so pleasant to be around. Yeah, he's a kid. He's a nine-year-old boy, and he misses it a lot. But I know his heart is I want to grow to just influence people. God has that for you as well, too. And so what Madi and I did during the youth days is we injected that into them. And before you know it, some was bringing a teaching to the youth. Some were bringing the icebreaker games to the youth. Some were just handling situations and connecting with parents because they understood I'm a leader. I'm a leader. Uh, we used to have these um, youth takeovers uh, way back when we were youth pastoring, and we used to get these T-shirts. And if you would notice, if you were here during that time, it never said servant or volunteer. It, up front, it said leader because we looked at them as leaders. And it is no different today with our church family. We see serving everywhere, but my and I say, hey, those are our leaders here. They lead, they help lead us, lead this church with us. Again, it's, it's something that God wants us to have. It's an attitude we should live by. God wants us to have the attitude to lead our homes. He wants us to have the attitude to leave our work areas, our church. Maybe he wants us to lead our spouses, our, our children, those that are our arms reach in our lives. God simply wants us to be an influence. But first, for us to be an effective leader, we need to be led by him. We need to be led by Jesus Christ himself. When we allow our influence to be tampered with, what happens is it rots our leadership skills. When we allow the attitude of, well, you know, it's going to be tampered with what God wants us to do and we, kind of, we want to do what we want to do or, or we just feed ourselves the wrong stuff, it tampers with our leadership. It, it rots it. What God called us to do. When you look at Ecclesiastics chapter 10, verse 1, it says this. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, check this out, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. In other words, what the scripture is saying, it doesn't take much to kill godly leadership inside of us. It doesn't take much to tamper with that or to, to kind of just bring that at a lower level. Because what God wants in our lives is he's saying, I want you to live by the fruit of my spirit. I want that fruit to be produced out of you. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's in the book of Galatians. And actually, I'll run down the fruit of the spirit so we have a fresh reminder. And if you want a little tune with it, go to rest because they have a song that goes with it. But here's what God's saying. He says, I need you to have my love and my joy, my peace and patience, my kindness, my goodness, my faithfulness, and guess what? Yes, my self-control. And I just think that is such a huge one because we make these rash decisions or we just do stuff out of reaction because that's what we want to do and we need to get it done. And God is continually saying, my, one of my fruit is self-control. 
You have every right to have self-control. Again, that's Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But when I studied that scripture, I found the message translation. Same exact verse, different wording. And check what this says, uh, church. It says this. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same that fruit appears in an orchard. Think about that for a second. Now, I don't have an orchard in my backyard, but I have this tree that produces crab apples. You guys know what crab apples are? Yeah, they're apples with smaller versions. I think some will call it cherry apples, maybe, but they're smaller apples, crab apples is what they are. And um, when the season comes, my kids are constantly looking out the window, watching these things grow and blossom. And they understand with the right atmosphere, with the right rain, with the right sunshine, with everything that's just being just right, these things start producing. And they'll ask, Dad, is it ready? Mom, is it ready? Can I go get some? And I'm always like, yeah, just go grab them. But Marty say, no, they're not ready yet. <laughs> You know, and so when we look, they see they're nice and ripe, they're ready to go, and if the squirrels didn't beat them, they'll go and pull some from the tree. And it's so cool to see this thing generate out of this tree that's right behind our house every season. And God's saying, my fruit's going to generate out of my uh, people as well, too. The way that grows and blossoms, you're going to be the same way. And he, he compares it to an orchard, uh, you know, out in a field. Continue on. He says, things like affection for others, that's something that's going to be producing out of you guys. Exuberance about life. Serenity, he says. Now, check this out. We develop a willingness to stick with things. We develop growing a willingness to stick with things. In other words, when things get tough and life gets hard, you will stick with his word. You will stick with his truth and you will keep moving forward. You will go forward and beyond because the attitude of God is what's within you. He says a sense of compassion in your heart, a conviction that is basic holiness permeates things and people. Now listen to this last sentence. We find ourselves involved. Now there's action involved in loyal commitments, all right? Not needing to force our way in life, but able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. That's what God produces out of us when we have his attitude in us and we're able to go forward in life. God simply wants us to grow in him so and, and in our hearts so we can produce the fruit. Now, there's a saying that I hear a lot growing up, and you'll probably hear this or, or have heard it many times, but you'll, especially when it's a sensitive situation or a major decision that you have to make, you'll hear this advice. Well, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart and everything will be okay. And no, it won't, because if we're not in the word of God, our hearts can mislead us. What God is calling us to do is to lead our hearts. That's what, did I wake everybody up? <laughs> God is calling us to lead our hearts. Because let me tell you something, we put the wrong stuff in our heart, we're going to be hitting a lot of dead ends and garbage. Okay, but when the word is alive and it's active and it's moving in our hearts and we continue to lead ourselves in his word, we're able to make conscious decisions, godly decisions, and God is going to bless every decision in him. You see, we may be seeking good and great ideas, but God's only going to bless God ideas. That's what he's looking at. So we need to learn to lead our hearts because he needs you to be a leader while you're here on earth. 
Every one of you, okay? And if you're like, well, where do I lead? Ask him. Or if you're disqualifying yourself, I don't know if I can be a leader. That's a lie. Here's the truth. God has called you. He's equipped you. And he says, you're here at the right time, at the right place. I need you to lead because you're my body. God wants us to lead our hearts. And the only way is through him. But we also need to be aware of some attitudes that really kills that in us. The leadership, that, the skills that he's given us, the enemy's going to do everything he can, according to John 10, 10, to steal, kill, and destroy that. And so the next few minutes, I just want to give you five different attitudes that really kills what God is really trying to do in our lives. And hopefully I'm going to, actually, I do believe this, that first of all, you're going to jot these down and you're going to remember these scriptures and study them through the week, but, but allow the spirit of God to touch you right where you're at. And I'm believing that God's going to show you something brand new today, okay? So the first uh, attitude that really kills leadership within inside of us is, number one, anger. Anger. You know, we, we, we have this thing, and I think I might have talked about it a while ago, but we talked about what, what, there's righteous anger, and Jesus got angry and turned tables. There is a certain type of thing that teaching that Jesus is teaching us at that point, but Paul and Jesus, and through the entire scriptures, we see and demonstrated how anger can really hurt a person in leadership or in their influence as well. You know, when you look at James chapter 1, starting in 19 through 21, it says this, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. You know, in Res Kids, when I served in the children's, we say there's two ears and one mouth for a reason. Because <laughs> we need to listen twice as much and speak, you know, a little less than what we're listening to. You, you know what I'm saying? And God in the scriptures is telling us, hey, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Have you ever been interrupted when you're trying to like share something or teach something or, or have an opinion and in the middle of the sentence, and they start talking? That's not according to God. Don't elbow each other. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying, though. When Jesus walked the earth, it was so rewarding and good to see him listening to his disciples, even when he knew it. He knew it already. You know, there's two disciples after the resurrection, and they're talking about this Jesus, that uh, his body's gone and the tomb is empty, and they're telling Jesus they just didn't recognize it was him. And you don't see Jesus interrupt, hey, 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 I know, it's me, I got, he didn't do that. He says, go on, and he listens, and he walks this thing with them all the way to the point where he never even tells them. It just hits them like, poof, it's Jesus, and then poof, he's gone. <laughs> It's just so rewarding to see a Savior, a God that does that in our lives. He wants us to do the same. And he tells us in Scripture, hey, be quick to listen, but slow to speak, and then slow to get angry. And when you listen twice as much as you speak, <laughs> by default, anger doesn't really rise up. You're giving it no room. Because when anger rises up, that is our conscious decision to allow it to be in our lives. You know, it's an emotion that God really created in our lives, and it's a good emotion, by the way. You know, I'm not, if you, because we get angry doesn't mean we're in sin, but when we allow it to lead our lives, we're missing God. We're missing it. Because anger should be an indicator, okay? Kind of like uh, the, the F and the E in the gas tank. Hey, hey, you're going on E, the light turns on. It's an indicator. Hey, you're running low on gas. When anger rises up and we have that indicator, we understand we practice self-control, okay, God? And he's telling us there's something you need to address and confront and let's get this thing resolved 
It's just an indicator for us. That's what anger's for. But so many times we get, blah, all crazy, because I'm so angry. And we lose self-control, and we say the wrong things. We do the wrong things. We slam the door, and we storm off. (laughs) And God's saying, that's not what it was used for. It's your indicator. Yeah, there's something going on that needs to be addressed, but do not let anger control your life. Because that kills leadership that I have for you, influence that I have in you that people are going to be watching and seeing. You know, anger, it just really creates, it it forms habits in our lives and it erodes leadership in our lives. And when you think about the Bible in Exodus, Moses was a perfect example of that. Leader, saved God's people, entered the wilderness, hears God's in the presence of God. I mean, Ten Commandments are written through him. It's just, it's so awesome. But anger... Anger had a hold of him a lot. And when God tell him, hey, go give him my commands, and he saw what was going, rightfully so, he get angry about somebody worshiping somebody else, but he ends up breaking the stuff and not listening to God and what he has for him. And has to go right back up to the mountain, go to God, and redo the thing again. But God is so gracious and merciful. The hope is this. He will still come back and meet you right, right, right when you go back to him. You know, uh, they're thirsty and, and they need something to drink. And I'm paraphrasing this. And, and, and God says, hey, speak to that rock and watch ever a lasting water just coming out of that. And he gets angry because he's seeing people do stuff they shouldn't be doing. And instead of speaking to the rock, he grabs his staff and he strikes the rock. And the water, his faithfulness, God is still faithful. He provided what he needed for them. Still provided, but because of uh, disobedience and not doing it the way God instructed him to do it, he missed out. He missed out. Moses missed out on the promised land. You know, Moses missed out on a lot of things. And by the way, anger didn't have to rule his life. So that alone, he missed out in, in fun times. You know, in times that we can create memories with each other. Don't allow anger to be something that leads you or controls you because God says, my fruit is self-control. Paul says, listen to his word, for he will help you take step at a time. Spend time with God and rest in God is what he's aiming for. All right, number two, attitude that really kills leadership in us is pride. Pride. You know, King Saul is the perfect example. I was reading 1 Samuel 15 and 16 the other day, and I will not bring this whole story up, but I'm going to encourage you, write it down, 1 Samuel 15 and 16. You'll see King Saul, he was anointed king of Israel, but because of his pride, and God gave him specific instructions to take out a group of people in war because they were just not honoring God in any way, he did some of it because he had pride in himself. And the long story short, what ends up happening is Saul gets stripped away from being king of Israel. And obviously we know the story, King David comes in. And that's where uh, 1 Samuel 17, that's where, where Samuel comes in and he anoints the next king of Israel, who is David. But pride, even though position was still there for, for uh, uh, King Saul, pride was just consuming him. And then pride started birthing jealousy and, and, and anger started coming on and all these things were coming. And before you know it, at one position Saul was supposed to be at, he leaves the post and starts doing whatever he wants. And there is a po- point in the Bible where his people were taken out because he left position and he wasn't hearing God anymore. 
That's what pride does in our life. 1 John 2, 16 says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. God does not want you to walk in pride. He wants you to walk in humility. If you think about it, pride takes a person down faster than anything else. When we're in pride, it takes us down faster. Proverbs talks about it many times, all the time. He says, pride comes before the fall. There's a fall. There's there's a downside, and God is warning us every day. Don't allow this attitude to to, to saturate your life and allow uh, it to be led, to let it lead your life. But the only way that you can overcome this pride is by my fruits and by serving others. When we come in a humble heart, humility heart, a humbled heart and say, God, it's your way, not my way. You're overcoming that. I think John the Baptist says it best. He says, I must, uh, he must increase, I must decrease. In other words, he's saying always point to Jesus, not to yourself. Point to Jesus. Number three. Uh, the next attitude that really kills our leadership in our lives is impatience. Always being in a hurry. Life is a race. We need to beat that yellow light before it turns red. Like, that's the type of impatience I'm talking about. Okay? You know, and what happens is we miss out in this journey that we have with God. Maybe there was someone along the way that he wanted just to sit down and listen to, but we were so in a hurry. We were so much trying to get to the goal because glory to God, we got some things to do. We miss out on the little things in life. Can I give you a confession? All ears are open. It always happens. (laughs) You know, well, being in ministry all these years, I've learned so much that if I get consumed in ministry, I'm missing the days of my kids growing up. And I had a check and a wake up one day, and God said, look at your son. And I remember just looking at my son. He had no idea. He's just kind of playing and doing his thing. He might have been like six at the time. And, and he had said, remember the baby days? I'm like, oh, I remember when he was two, and I remember the diapers and everything. He says, they're not there anymore. And it was really like, what do you mean? He says, they're memories now. You can't go back to it. And then he said, don't miss out. Don't miss out. And that really woke me up to just cherish the moments I have. Ministry, you know, is something that I am called to do. But God says, you're a husband and a father first. Don't ever forget that. And so I do everything. I even tell my, uh, my wife, I said, baby, what's my schedule look like this week? She's like, all right, Monday you go into the office. Tuesday you got grandma. Wednesday you come home for a while. Spend the morning with me. You know, and I'm just, because she's the one. She's priority. And when I do that, life is good at home. Life is good in the ministry. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's because we are learning to be patient in life. We're learning to to not be in a hurry for everything because we don't want to miss out on a conversation with you guys. I don't want you to miss out on a conversation with someone in life as well, too. 2 Timothy uh, 2, 24 says this, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel but must be kind to everyone, Uh, be able to teach, now check this out, and be patient with difficult people. You know, that's another area of impatience. Sometimes, well, they deserve it. They're just annoying me, you know? <laughs> they, just, they just don't like the lions, so I don't like them. You know, it's just all these excuses that come up. But by the way, I love all you guys, okay? You know, we, we, we come up with these excuses of why it's okay to be impatient, but reality is God never called us to do that. He called us to be patient. And by the way, when we say, God, give me patience, we have our own definition of, okay, automatically this thing's going to come up. Hey. 
you know, we're walking around, we're patient with everybody. No, 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 no. God doesn't work that way because when you say, God, get, help me with my patience, all right, let's send this person here in your life, you know. And now you have an opportunity to grow in patience. That's how God works. That's how God works. That's why I have four children because he's really working to me right now. And I love it. I absolutely love it. You know. He says, be patient with difficult people. And the way to do so is allowing the spirit and his fruit to produce out of you. You'll have self-control. You'll have joy. You'll have peace even when it's bad all around you, even when it's a little annoying. It's really a heart check for you. It's an attitude adjustment to straight you out so you can lead maybe that person. Maybe, right? It's your influence around them. We need to learn to take time to seek We need to take time to listen, and we need to take time to pray those situations out. Don't let impatience stop you from leading. Number four attitude that really kills our leadership is fear. Fear. Think about it for a second. Fear. This just, it's flat out just not from God. When we think, well, we need to have this type of fear and not that type of fear, we're, look, let's go to the original language. Let's look at Hebrew. Let's look at Greek. It's talking about a reverence when it comes to God. But when we talk about this fear that just really paralyzes us and puts us in a stage of doubt, that's not God. He says, that is not for me. Because this is what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind, a calm mind, a peaceful mind. He's given you everything you need. But what the enemy tries to do is tamper with that by using fear. And then what happens is we doubt God, we paralyze in our footsteps and where we're walking with God because we're allowing fear to lead our lives. Fear, honestly, usually comes from our insecurities and also comes from problems. You know, and when I was taught that, I'm like, hmm, I never really thought about it. But I started evaluating my life and I started looking at every area that I have a little bit of fear in. And I realized every single one was a problem I ran into or an insecurity I have about myself. And let me tell you something, church. I didn't know what to do. I had no idea what to do. But then I was taught to bring it to Jesus. And when I brought it to Jesus, guess what he did? He delivered me right there. His word washed my mind. His spirit regenerated my heart. And I just wanted to keep going. And I'm not saying I don't feel, feel fear. I don't feel fear creeping up. It does. But I have self-control in Christ. And I'm going to tell that fear, no, I'm not submitted to you. I will keep moving forward. Did you know bravery is not an absence of fear? Bravery is looking at fear in the face and saying, I'm not going to let you stop me. I'm going to overcome this in Christ. That's what bravery is. Think about it for a second. You have that. Not just me. You have it as well, too, when you say yes to Jesus. When you say yes to him. It's a promise that God says in his word, I have overcome fear, he says. I have overcome all these circumstances. Don't let it to stop you. Don't let it hold you back from what's coming. Don't let it kill the attitude of leadership in you because there are people in your life that you're going to be leading and influencing. And the last one is this, acceptance. Acceptance. Well, what do you mean? As God's representative, all of us, as children of God, newsflash, there are going to be people that don't like you. And Jesus says, hey, don't worry about that because when they don't like you, they really don't like me. (laughs) That's what he's saying. They really don't like me. You know, and it's one of those things where we try to 
people please because we want everyone to like us. And that's good intentions. But there are going to be times where people just flat out don't like you because you have Jesus in your heart. And Jesus says, don't, don't let these people stop you. I'm paraphrasing it. Don't let them stop you because it's not about your acceptance. It's about you pleasing God, not pleasing people. Now, when we please God, God is about people, okay? And we have to understand that God is about people. Then God's going to have us reach people a certain way, maybe in a relevant way, maybe in a personal way. You know, I shared a story last week briefly about my brother-in-law, and our love has always been there together no matter what. But before he came to Christ, there was a lot of resentment between him and I in, in the faith. You know, not, not brothers. We, we loved each other. It was there. We hung out. We played basketball. Uh, he schooled me all the time. It was, just, it was one of those relationships that we had. But here's the thing. There was a lot of resentment there in the faith. And I could have just been flat out trying to get his acceptance just to simply like me. But I told God, I want to just reach him, but how do I do that? I'm here to please you, God. And God showed me a direction in certain ways. And go figure, it took Krispy Kreme donuts. I'll share the story later, okay? But it took Krispy Kreme donuts to lead him to Jesus because God wanted to do that. And today he serves, as Mahdi's brother, today he serves, Lord. He, go, he just got back from a missions trip. He's doing so much for the kingdom of God because I wasn't trying to find his approval or his acceptance. I wanted to please God. But God was for him. So if I knew God was for him, then I'm like, God, how do you want me to do it? Krispy Kreme donuts. All right, Lord, I got it. Let's go, you know? And this is one of those things where I remember being in the car. I remember being in the car. And we talked for an hour because, by the way, our wives were waiting. At, at the time, we were living in an apartment. This is Tulsa, Oklahoma. And they're waiting for the donuts over an hour and a half later. And I'm in the car in the parking lot with the donuts, but I'm leading this dude to Jesus, right? And I get a phone call. Where are you at with these donuts? <laughs> baby, I'm trying to please God. Hold on. <laughs> you know? No, it's, it, again, it's just one of those things where God will lead you how to do that. He wants people, he, he, there are people in your life you need to reach, and he wants you to do it. That's it. That's it. But don't do it by pleasing them. Do it by pleasing him. Because Proverbs tells us, look, a kiss from, kiss from a, 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 an enemy or a friend, a kiss, oh man, I'm butchering it, never mind. A kiss from an enemy, thank you, Lord, and a blow from a friend. A lot better when it's from a friend. Don't be buttered up by someone because you're trying to please them. Sometimes conversations are going to hurt is what he's trying to say because there's truth and there needs to be healing in that area. Don't shy away from doing it God's way. Don't shy away because God's going to use you in leadership. You know, there's a story in the Bible, I'll close it with the scripture, where Paul confronts Peter. Yeah, the apostle Paul and the disciple Peter. Paul confronts him. You know, there, there, there's, there's this thing where, where Peter's people-pleasing for a second because there's a group of, Peter, uh, group of people he's eating and hanging out with, but then a new group comes in and he just does, neglects them and forgets their words because he doesn't want to, you know, get criticized by these people. And Paul notices that or hears about it, and he confronts Peter. And let's, let's look what it says in Galatians 2.11. It says, but when Peter came to Antioch, I, Paul, had to oppose him to his face. That's a friend, by the way. Okay, that's a friend. For what he did was very wrong. 
You see, when he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, okay, people wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism for these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. Because of a debate, because of what we think, Peter didn't want to offend these guys, so he neglected them when God called them to them. He was trying to please these people. You know what the Bible calls that? Double-minded. Double-minded. I'm going to be bold to say this. If you're in a position right now where you act differently because that person's here, that group of people are here, but when they're gone, you're somebody else, you're double-minded. I was in that position for a very long time, and God put me in a position of, and, and actually woke me up on that one. It is not fun to be in that position. It gets you nowhere. I'm telling you that right now. But when you allow him and freedom in you to serve him and please him every way it's just a better road it's a better road god doesn't want you to act differently from here and differently from there he wants you to act like him he wants you to live for him and do it his way that's it acceptance from people trying to just gain that and live for that kills leadership in us and we're not as effective. Maybe we do a good job, but God's looking for a God job. He wants his job to be done. Who's that in your life? Don't let people please and control you. God wants to do something in you. And here's the hope. Maybe we fell into that. And here, let me, let me be honest and vulnerable with you. I fell into that many times. Sometimes I slip into it once in a while when I'm not thinking. But out of any of these five leadership killer attitudes, God has always been faithful to bring me right back when I said, I'm sorry, God. There is hope. It's not too late. It is just you and you alone turning to the Father and say, God, here I am. Work in me now. And today he will deliver you. Today, this moment, you can walk out completely different attitude. Will you allow him to do it? Will you allow him? to do it. Let's go ahead and close our eyes and bow our head for a second.